turn with me to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. The Minor Prophets, if you're looking in your pew Bible. You will find this starting on page 1233 and going on to 1234. Joel chapter 2 reading verses 18 through 27, page 1233, continuing on to 1234. Joel 2, starting in verse 18. My friends, this is the word of God. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. But I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done things. Do not be afraid, you beast of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its root. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and it will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years of the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we look at these 10 verses, verses 18 through 27 of Joel chapter 2, with this theme, the Lord promises restoration and his presence. The Lord promises restoration and his presence. Now so far in Joel, we have seen in chapter 1, the Lord's devastating judgment those creepy, crawly gnawing munching locust of chapter 1 
as we looked at, as a great judgment that had been unheard of almost, so devastating was it was it in terms of Israel. And then uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, the call to repentance. And just saying the words, you know, rend your hearts, not your garments. Don't put on a show. Be serious with God. And now as we come uh, in chapter 2 of Joel, starting in verse 18, we have here the blessing which God provides for his covenant people. The blessing which he provides. So the first thing we look at then this afternoon is the promise of restoration. So follow along with me here. The promise of restoration. First of all, food. A cornucopia of food. A whole bunch of food. Notice verse 19. Corn, wine, and oil. Grain, wine, new wine, and oil. We could say these are among the staples, the staple crops, the necessary ones. Verse 22. Not only for for humans, but also for the animals, because the animals have been suffering from all from the, the locust coming in. And so, you beast of the field, the open pastures are springing up, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Food for the animals. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? When you look at Romans 8, it talks about how creation groans and travails because of man's sin. And we know in general terms, overarching terms, that's true, but sometimes it's true in very particular ways. It's because of man's sin, because of the people's sin, that you had this devastation, and even even creation, even animals were suffering. But now, there's going to be food for the animals. Verse 23, uh, the provision of abundant rain. He's given the former rain faithfully. Uh, the former rain and the latter rain uh, in the first month. And uh, uh, it, it says the former rain moderately, or it's really unto righteousness. And so it's the idea perhaps of, of his righteousness, of God's righteousness, that is to say, faithfully he will provide this. Verse 24, we see the abundance of food. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, shall overflow with new wine and oil. And so there's going to be an abundance of food. The threshing floors and then the vats where the juice of the grapes would spill over from the wine press. And then in verse 25, in terms of this cornucopia of food, we see the restoration of what had been lost. Verse 25 so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Those particular, do you see the little asterisk there? Uh, perhaps um, uh, there's the, uh, the question as to um, whether or not, or what, what exactly is intended by these, uh, these different types of locusts. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it's, it, the, the sense you get here, instead of trying to be too particular with it, the sense you get here is that it's just overarching in terms of all the locusts, however we want to describe them, 
all of them together, you see, they have devastated. They're the ones that God has sent as his great army. And yet now God says, I will restore to you, you those years of harvest that you have lost. It sort of reminds us, does it not, of Job chapter 42, where Job had lost everything, you remember, including his children. And what does the Lord do? He, he gives Job the same number of children, interestingly, but then also he gives him double in terms of all the, all the things that he had lost through all those calamities, all those catastrophes. And so that's what we see here. So I will restore to you the years. So a cornucopia of food as part of the restoration, but also in this regard, verse 20, the remo- a removal of the enemy, the army driven out. Now some commentators would refer this to the Assyrians, because it talks about the northern army, and that the reference to the locusts is just sort of a metaphor. Um, other commentators, including including Matthew Henry, um, would um, would say that in point of fact uh, that the, the these would be literal locusts that we're talking about, but still as uh, as if an army. And so God is saying, "So I remove far from you the northern army." And they would be driven into a barren and desolate land. That is to say, the deserts of the south. Notice also his face toward the eastern sea. That would be the Dead Sea, the Great Salt Sea. And also to the utmost sea, or the western sea. That would be the Mediterranean. And so this this, uh, horde of locusts, would be destroyed and decayed. This is a reference to these locusts as they putrefy, as they decay on the ground. But notice also it says at the end of verse 20, the stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. It's especially because of the enemy having done these great things or these as translated here, these monstrous things that they will be devastated. Well, notice as we look at this promise of restoration, notice the result of the restoration. So let's look at several verses here. First of all, verse 21. Fear not, O land. Fear. No fear. You know, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26, and verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. In other words, no fear. In Luke 12, verse 32, Jesus says to his disciples, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And Jesus also then says in John 14, in John 14, uh, verses 1 and following, 
in John uh, 14, verses 1 and following. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Ever been afraid? I've been afraid at times. All kinds of things that can make us afraid. But, first of all, the Bible is saying, when you have those periods of fear, God is saying, look to me. Look to me. I'm the one who watches over you. But especially, we need to realize in terms of where we are now in the history of redemption, that it is the Lord Jesus who says to us today, don't be afraid, especially because it is the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom, and furthermore, when you die, what happens to you? You go to the mansion that I am preparing for you. And therefore, don't be afraid. Fear not. We go through perhaps difficult things in life. We can look to God and know that he is the one who is watching over us. So fear not. Again, in verse uh, verse, uh, 21, be glad and rejoice. Gladness and rejoicing. You know, God doesn't want you to be like that marsh wiggle Puddle Glum. Remember Puddle Glum in the silver chair in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia? That uh, strange uh, uh, creature from the marshlands? Puddle Glum. What does that tell you? Someone who's always gloomy. Puddle Glum. Okay? God doesn't want you to be like that. The Lord calls us to rejoice and to be glad. Again, looking to his promises, looking to who he is, looking to the fact that he is faithful and that he is the one who is bringing us unto salvation. Gladness and rejoicing. Verse 26, another result of the restoration is satisfaction. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Now here is a special reference to having enough food, being satisfied. But you know, it's more... It's more than just food. In a, uh, in a few minutes at the close of the service, we'll be singing Psalm 4. And uh, as you probably are aware, at the end of Psalm 4 and verse 7, the psalmist says, You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. You put gladness in my heart. You have given me more satisfaction than simply the food itself. Another result of the restoration is praise to God. Again, verse 26, and praise the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord your God. And then as you look at verses 26 and 27 in particular, another result of the restoration is that his people would never be ashamed. Verse 26, my people shall never be put to shame. The end of verse 27, my people shall never be put to shame. 
how embarrassed we can be because of our past sins and the chastisement thereof. The fact that we have broken the law of God and many times just acted so foolishly, every one of us. As I say to folks, the longer you live, the more your sins pile up. But praise God, he paid for all those sins too. Jesus paid for all those sins. But nevertheless, we can also mention that guilt is a powerful motivator and can be quite depressing. Guilt is a powerful motivator can be quite depressing. But the amazing thing is that it is God who brings us out of that shame and embarrassment. You know, as we read in Isaiah 45, verses 15 and following, truly you are God who hides yourself. O God of Israel, the Savior, they shall be ashamed and also disgraced. All of them, they shall go in confusion together who are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. And this deliverance from shame and embarrassment, we could say, is before the watching world or even before the devil. Is that not what we read in in Zechariah chapter 3? Remember the passage in Zechariah 3? Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And of course he was able then, he was able, Joshua then was able to be clothed, to have the filthy garments taken away, and for him to be clothed with rich robes. And so, of course, it is before the world and the world system, including the devil, that we are delivered from embarrassment, but most importantly, we are delivered from shame and embarrassment before God. For in Romans 8, chapter 1, in Romans 8 and chapter 1, The Apostle Paul tells us there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So God is the one who delivers us from shame and embarrassment. Well, that's the promise of restoration, but now we come secondly to the promise of the Lord's return. Notice that this happens in the midst of Israel. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. So here, with God being in the midst of his people, here we have the idea of God's protection, like a hedge or a wall, or for that matter, a fire. Isn't that what we read about in terms of the Exodus? Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved 
and went before them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. God is the one who provided this hedge, this protection, because he was right there with his people. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26 and verse 1. Isaiah 26 and verse 1. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. But more than that, more than just being in the midst like a glory cloud, there's something more here as we look in the, to the fulfillment of this in Christ. And that is the incarnation. The incarnation. You remember in Isaiah 7, verse 14, you remember what the, what the promise is in Isaiah 7 and verse 14? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 28, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, Jesus shows that he still has a physical body as he tells the disciples, handle me. Let me eat this honeycomb and this fish to see that I am not a spirit, I'm not a ghost, that I actually have a real physical body. In John chapter 20, again, he, he says, handle me, touch me. He says to doubting Thomas then, a week later, go ahead, Thomas, put your finger in the nail print and put your fist in my side and see that, yes, I still have a body, a body that has been wounded, a body that will forever bear those wounds for all eternity, but a body nonetheless. You see, the incarnation then, not just the, the promise, but the fulfillment comfort to all of us because Jesus knows what it's like to be, to go through the experiences that we go through, but it also provides protection against the attacks by scoffers, by those who deny the truth of Scripture. But my friends, Jesus says, handle me. He says to his disciples, handle me, touch me. Know that someday I will come back in this very same body as you have seen me go to heaven. And if you'll notice here, the whole idea at the end of uh, at the end of verse 19, where God says, "I will send you grain and new wine and oil; you'll be satisfied by them. No longer make you a reproach among the nations." Again, why is that the case? Ultimately, it's not because of His providing grain and new oil and wine, but it's because the Lord our God 
is our Savior. That's why, and particularly it is Jesus. As a matter of fact, speaking of the Lord your God, we see that phrase in verses 23, 26, and 27. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord our God. There is none else beside him. But let me pause here just a moment and ask, is he your God? That's the question all of us must answer. And so we see the promise of the Lord's presence in the midst of Israel, fulfilled in the incarnation. We see the promise that it is the Lord your God who is in the midst of his people. But we also see that in verse 18, why the Lord will do this. Why will the Lord do this? Verse 18. First of all, for his own name's sake. We read here that the Lord, Yahweh, will be zealous or jealous, we could say, for his land. And he's jealous for his land because it is his, because he is identified with it. By the way, that idea for jealous here, zealous, it comes from a root meaning to be red, to glow, and thence to be fiery or to be eager or to be zealous. We know according to scripture that God's zeal is a consuming fire. It's a consuming fire, God's zeal is. In terms of his zeal, he preserves the honor of his own name. And my friends, he has zeal for his church. He has zeal. He is, has zeal for his people. And he displays his zeal against his enemies. Ezekiel chapter 36, which we did not, verse 5 and following, which we did not read today. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations, against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession, with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, because I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury. Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. So God then, the Lord then, brings zeal even against his enemies. So why will the Lord do this? Why will the Lord set forth these promises and fulfill them. First of all, for his own name's sake, he's zealous for his own reputation. But secondly, because of his pitying of his people. The key word here, the pitying, is chamal, chamal, C-H-A-M-A-L. And this uh, often has a negative connotation, but sometimes has a positive one, as it does here. Because God pities his people. Now we did read from the latter part of Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to refer you to that now just very briefly. As you read in Ezekiel 36, 21 and following. Look at verse 21. But I had concern 
for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. See, God says in Ezekiel 36, he will pity his holy name. It doesn't say there he'll pity his people, but that he will have regard to his own name. But what's interesting here in Joel is that the Lord says he will be zealous for his name and pity his people at the same time. And that's why the Lord does this. For his own glory and for the good of his people. I have two points of application. The first is this. Never forget, never forget that material blessings are signs and symbols of spiritual blessings. Never forget that material blessings are signs and symbols of spiritual blessings. This is what this is all about. So material blessings are important. You have to eat. But the point here is don't get so caught up with the material and the physical that you forget the spiritual, that all of these material blessings are pointing towards. Because ultimately, you see, it is being satisfied in the Lord your God. It's to praise, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. So never forget that the material points to the rejoice that the Lord will do wondrously, marvelously, amazingly. Verse, verses 21 and 25, 26. For the Lord has done marvelous things, verse 26, who has dealt wondrously with you. This term wondrously means that which is extraordinary. Indeed, that which may appear to be hard, Difficult even. But God is the one who does that. That's why we sing, for example, in the 98th Psalm, oh, sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Psalm and verse 5. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. And Psalm 118 from the Egyptian Hillel, 118 and verse 23. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And my friends, is it not indeed amazing what the Lord has done here? in a context of judgment and in the midst of a people that would rebel against him and yet now is being called back, what will the Lord do? The Lord will provide for our needs. The Lord will destroy our enemies, put them to shame and vindicate us. The Lord will deliver us from fear. The Lord will instill gladness and joy. The Lord will provide satisfaction that the world 
desperately searching for, can't get no satisfaction, the Lord will provide satisfaction. The Lord will give us grace to praise Him. The Lord will take away our shame. The Lord will be our God in our midst. And He will do all these things for His glory and out of pity and compassion for His elect. And so, my friends, rejoice today. Rejoice that the Lord did do wondrously over us will do wondrously as well. Praise him for it. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, that thou art the one who has provided revelation to us. We pray, Father, that thy word would be sweet to us, sweeter than honey, Uh, to our lips. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, eat thy word, that we would feed on thy word. And Lord, we pray especially that we would take comfort and peace from thy word this day. So Lord, have mercy upon us now and bless us as we have gathered here in the name of Christ. Apply to us with this sense of thy presence with us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.